This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're tired of seeing Black people treated with such disdain and disrespect and quite literally being killed with impunity. And so we're going out into the streets. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, editor-in-chief of InStyle Magazine, and each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. Opal Tometi is one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Within the last year, she and her partners have ushered in seismic changes to the social fabric of this country, and they are now deservedly nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. How are you, sweets? I'm actually quite well. Now that we're doing this, Look at your art. Look at your sweater. Look at your neck and necklace. Yeah. Oh, a little, a little opal. I just needed it for some a little encouragement today. A little. Actually, this is an Australian opal. I think. I, I I mined that and I gave it to you. You know, in my heart. In my heart. Okay, Opal Tometi, uh, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, one of three epic women. I also work with Opal in style about every three minutes if I can. Um, I, but we met in 2018 at a badass women dinner and um, got on like a house on fire, if I recall. I was just like, who is this woman and why is she, why is she making us do this? But I remember being like, you need a wine and you need a laugh. And I'm, I remember we went on our first like date in New York had some wines, had some laughs. And I was like, oh God, she's doing all of this and she's just fun and 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 there's all of these things can actually exist and need to exist because you can't be one thing all the time. Right. You need to have a a, a light hand. So let's just let's just start with oh hang on, what would be something easy? The Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> so you the three of you, the founders of Black Lives Matter, were how, when was it two months or three months ago? I think about two months ago. Oh, I, I just you were nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, which is so so much to digest, I'm sure. But if things were equitable in the first place, this movement wouldn't have existed, and this prize never would have happened. So elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> you know where did you, where did you even begin on that point, right? So that first and foremost is incredible and is really a testament to all of us and the countless, like literally millions and millions and millions of people who took it upon themselves to get involved, to say like, you know, enough is enough. We're tired of seeing, you know, Black people treated with such disdain and disrespect and quite literally being, you know, killed with impunity. And this is fundamentally not working. And so we're going out into the streets. We're going to our workplaces. We're going to our elected officials. We're going to wherever <laughs> we can to ensure that, <laughs> that you know, our voices and our, our, our perspectives are being heard and that we change this once and for all. And so to me, it's such a beautiful testament to just the courage and uh, ferocity <laughs> of the people. I can't even, you know, can't take credit for this, right? This is something where people 
allow themselves to feel. I like to think about it like that. Like they allow themselves to feel, get in touch with their own sense of humanity and sense of agency and, and say like, I can actually do something about this. My voice matters. So let me actually use it. A, a humanitarian force, a political force. I tell me that I remember when, cause actually you and I last spoke in depth after <laughs> you'd woken up to uh, see that they'd, uh, they'd painted Black Lives Matter in, in yellow in, in D.C., that um, Mayor Bowser had done that, and you were like, what? So tell me about when you woke up, how did you hear about this? Were you just, did they send an email? You know what? Like, how does it work? That's what I wish. That's the, that's the funny thing about so many of these awards or recognitions or these really like important moments and milestones Mm. is that Mm. no one gives you notice. Like you might hear, (laughs) you you might hear a murmuring or a little like here and there, like so-and-so might, this might be happening and this might be happening, but no one knows and no one knows when. And so all of a sudden I get actually a text message from South Africa saying, Hey, have you seen? this article about the Nobel Prize nomination. <laughs> I'm like, is it, hey, you guys, do you need Opal's email? Because she's waking up to these. <laughs> yes. And then I start, te- you know, then I'm on the text thread with Patrice and Alicia and we're messaging about it and, you know, talking about it. But it, it's so wild because it's something that, you know, a few people had mentioned might happen. I think you speculated about this. And there Sorry. Um, there may be a few, few people mention it about four or five times. Yeah, like months and months <laughs> ago. And I was like, I hadn't. Well, the thing is, when you do this work, you're not doing it for accolades or recognition. And so I hadn't quite thought about it. And also it's something that exists sort of, sort of surreally like outside of outside of yourself. But what did you and the ladies say on your texts? Who we, swore first? <laughs> we were just kind of like, oh my God, this might be happening. It was more of like a very sober, like, oh, wow. Okay. Like, but patience, patience, you know, like also one of those moments, like, let's be patient. Let's see. Cause it's, it's a nomination. We don't know yet. However, the beautiful thing is that even within the nomination, a lot of people felt such a sense of real joy, of real encouragement to keep going. There aren't very many Black people who have won the Nobel Peace Prize or Nobel Prizes, period. They're They're period. all very white and yeah. faintly European. Of the 916 people, I think 16 are Black. I mean, just yeah, exactly the significance of that. Um, hang on, is it going to be like on Zoom? When is it? <laughs> I, we won't even know until the fall. We won't even know. So, <laughs> so we're waiting like everybody else. And what's beautiful though is that it is not only for us, right, as individuals, but it's it's actually to the movement is how they they wrote it, how they phrased it. I think it's actually a good thing because it also illustrates what we've been trying to do, which is to say it's not just the job of one organization or three people or what, you know, leader. No, it's actually incumbent on all of us to ensure that there's racial equity in our societies. But when during this fraught time, when did you start to think, oh, this ain't going away now? We are really affecting something and it's going to settle. Well, took me by surprise was seeing that NASCAR PSA. <laughs> Granted, there's clearly a lot of issues that are still outstanding with the with NASCAR. So that, but I just happened to be walking by the television and seeing them put out some statement about Black Lives Matter and the way that they did. And so to me, that was kind of like, a, all right, we've we we are now in a new territory where. What we've been calling for is finally being shared in a way that 
is beyond by, the, by the, white man central. <laughs> that is known kind of for being, you know, typically alone and being more of a conservative space and all of that. But they know that they can't turn a blind eye to what is so clearly an injustice in our society. They can't continue to, to act as if it's not happening. And to me, that was just one of those moments where I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're in your territory. What were your days like through the fall? Like I can say, I'm a white lady and I found it very stressful and, you know, up to the election you know, and what thing. But you run this and you are you. And tell me about how you would you would metabolise those days coming up to that. I, you know, be really honest, they were overwhelming, as you can imagine. Um, and I had, you know, a long schedule and I'm working across time zones. You then are kind of stressy and maybe not sleeping as well. And then you're, you know, you're up earlier than you'd want to be and you're up later than you'd want to be. And so it, it was just Zoom after Zoom, call after call, press conferences, strategy sessions, get out the vote events, right up until the end was a lot of mobilization and showing that people knew that they, one, <laughs> needed to get registered to vote, but also had the ability and the capacity to engage in the vote. And then engaging even before all that with candidates and trying to make sure that these different campaigns knew the issues that mattered to our community, knew that they were going to actually take uh, particular stances when they were in office. All of those types of oh activities God. were going <laughs> on. So it was just a lot. three of you <laughs> just, the whole time, just three musketeers yeah, I, with like a reception switchboard. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, it's not just the three of us. Yes, the, you know, we end up sometimes being the face of certain activities or actions. But thank God for our teams because we could never do this on our own. And I am so grateful for the folks who are also working behind the scenes. And we, we quite literally couldn't be successful without every different type of person contributing in their way. Tell me about Georgia and how seeing that sort of nail biter come through and then come off. How did that feel? That was incredible. And I remember, gosh, some weeks before the actual election, working with a, an amazing group called Four Freedoms and installing a big old billboard in Georgia with some images of protesters, but also some words that said, gosh, what did it say? It, it essentially came down to people of courage and conscience are everywhere. And it was just a reminder that not only are we protesting, but we're exercising our power. Oh, I, I love Stacey Abrams. So messaging with her and, you know, incredible. We had worked together, you know, on her campaign before, but, you know, she's such a an important person to, to raise up and, and mention in this moment because of her amazing contributions and then so many others who were part of the efforts in, in Georgia. Especially the way Coach Stacey communicates. And same with you guys. She sort of says something that is very searing and very important and then sort of gift wraps it and just goes, Broom. Josh, it's like, this is like masterclass in presentation. Oh, yeah. But you did that from 2013 when you took those three words, which are so powerful and said, I'm going to I just remember by the Tumblr. <laughs> yes. And the domain name. I know. Guys, BLM began with a Tumblr. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh and because you understood yeah. that that web design, everything else, and you chose the uh, you know the colors of BLM, yellow and black, are your favorite colors. Tell me how you wanted to present it at the beginning and how you refined how you communicate going forward. So. 
in the beginning, right? In the beginning, <laughs> there were these three works. <laughs> but no, I mean, it was, it was so, it was actually rather organic. And I feel like it's important to say that because community organizing is something that is both an art as well as a science. You know, there are some figures, there are some metrics, there are some key things you've got to hit, but there's also you tapping into reading the signs, understanding that something else needs to emerge in this time. And while I was already working with a, a Black-focused organization, Black organizing, I knew that something more needed to be done. And that was in the wake of the, the murder of Trayvon Martin and the acquittal of George Zimmerman, the man who killed him. And I went on social media just like everybody else and was looking to one, you know, share messages, but also trying to understand what people were thinking about this particular moment. And that's when I saw Alicia's Facebook post Facebook, that, right. that said, you know, Black Lives Matter, essentially. And so I called her and said, hey, I don't know what this is, but we got to do something. We got to do something more than what we're already doing. Like, it's great what we've been doing, but we've got to come together and build something even sharper to, to meet this moment. You know, she was, of course, like, okay, let's do it. I didn't know Patrice at the time. And we, we just found our way. So bought the blacklivesmatter.com, built it out on Tumblr. Tumblr. Basically, <laughs> this is all a shout out to Tumblr. You know, all of us really did know the potential from the outside. We didn't know if we were going to do it, but, <laughs> but we knew that the traditional media wasn't quite listening to us. And that was the truth of the matter. We weren't getting people talking about anti-Black racism. It's not sexy to discuss white supremacy. You know what I mean? People were just like not having it. So we said, you know, we've got to find a way to share our message authentically, honestly, because if we don't, we're going to continue to be in this cycle of killing on our Black people, us being outraged and saddened, but not much changing around it. And you know, we're just like, you know, enough is enough. But I would also want to say that from the outset, we knew that Black Lives Matter needed to be inclusive. We we knew that we we're talking about Black people as not being a monolith. You know, we we're talking about Black folks who were immigrants and um, who were transgender or queer. And, you know, like we, we knew we were talking about Black people who were disabled. And so even from the beginning, like that was clear on our site. That was the one thing I need to write on that Tumblr page. We are not a monolith. Boom. Boom. What sort of buoyed you during those early years and what threw you back? I'm sure every every death at the hands of law enforcement throws you back still. But what what were your incremental sort of progress points? And, and you know, was it very much one step forward, step back, one step forward, one step back? Yeah, you know what? One of the major flashpoints for me that was was just so important was that a year after you know putting blacklivesmatter.com and all that together and having the social media presence and about a year after was when Mike Brown was killed in Ferguson Missouri and that that time period was actually what made Black Lives Matter go viral in a global way so we had, we kind of had the national but then this went global and in two weeks I gosh less than two weeks we mobilized 500 Black people to Ferguson to show up and stand alongside the communities there who were actually quite traumatized because when they took to the streets and were protesting, they were met with tear gas, which is similar to what people saw last year in 2020 as they were protesting across the country. But what I think was so powerful about that was that people got to see that we were showing up for one another. And then about a month after that was the Ferguson October mobilization where allies from all walks of life also came to Ferguson to show their love, show their support, and amplify the message. 
how does it personally sort of lift you and carry you when you are standing in Ferguson, where the site of this horrendous thing and 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 many things that followed it? How does it make it? And but then when you know you've brought all these people there, so how what how does this work for you emotionally from something so awful but with something lovely? Well, I think there's something about being able to mourn, but also at the same time being able to celebrate the courage of the collective in that same kind of moment or a moment right after that, right? So there's something about having that recognition that you're not crazy. (laughs) This is wrong. And there's like thousands of us who are gathered here. We also believe that's wrong. There's something about just those moments that I feel help to you know, provide a little bit of solace, a little bit of, you know, like there's a balm for your soul and your spirit. And at the same time, we have the capacity to strategize and we have the capacity to say like, let's, let's plot another way. Let's plot our way out of this. And so we got to strategize and do the work. By the way, yeah. uh, One of my favorite things about Opal is at 12, born and raised in Arizona, very white, very white place. And you would, at 12 years old, you were at your Afro to school. I did. I realized that I had curly locks underneath my straightened and relaxed hair and I was like, huh, let's let's start to <laughs> let's start to get rid of that and cut that off and start wearing my hair natural. And so uh these are the little things that we can do sometimes <laughs> that mm-hmm. uh to build, know, you. build you. That, yeah, I think that yeah. helped me. How did that start to build you as a, you know, I'm sure there's more than your hair that built you, clearly. But, you know, that sort of gesture at, a, at an age when whatever race you are, wherever you're from, you're not necessarily your most confident. You're about to go into your teens. So making decisions like that of, of real self-ownership that you made very early, how did that form you to become a leader? I'm glad that you brought this up because... First and foremost, I should say, shout out to my mom and my family who never shamed me or discouraged me from being who I was. And even to this day, will never talk ill of my beauty, my aesthetics, my whatever. You know, like they, they don't, they just don't dismiss that in me. So that I will say is, is really important. But even from that point, I think that getting comfortable with not looking like the other people in my classroom or the other girls in my school, it was huge. It was huge. That takes incredibly uh, strong sense of self. But it was also like that self-discovery where I'm like, oh, if I do this, this is what happens with my hair. If I do that, this is what happens. You know, there was something like, I was like a curiosity that led me down this journey. Even to this day, I think so much of what drives me is like, well, I'm curious if another way is possible. Oh, there's another kind of solution that we haven't explored yet. So, hey, what does it look like for us to engage in another strategy and see if we have different results? Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Ladies First with me, Laura Brown. This week I'm talking to Black Lives Matter's Opal Tometi. She's called Opal because she's a jewel. Tell me about how you felt on election day. How did that go down? 
Listen, that day, while I was trying to be cool and like, okay, it's okay. You know, we did all we could. We we literally put everything we could into this thing. I watched the the returns and, you know, over those, you know, a few days actually, and was so relieved when they finally called it. I was so relieved. And I... Where were you? And did you dance? I did dancing. I was in LA and (laughs) I was in my living room and I was just on, you know, several text threads (laughs) on phone calls and all that. And I cried. I wasn't expecting to. You know, I, I'll tell you, I'm kind of, I could be a stoic, you know, kind of person. It was like, don't let it affect you. Just, you know, like kind of be cool. You got to like keep it even keel. I might be called in to do press or do something. So I need to kind of keep it somber. Mm-hmm. High and tight. I did not realize how much I was carrying. You know, I think a lot more people might have been in touch with that, but I personally did was not even allowing myself to touch that place. Because you thought it might all come undone, right? Yes. And by the time I realized, like, oh, snap, we, we might have done it, <laughs> I felt such a profound sense of relief. And I felt like, the world dodged a meteor, you know? Like, I felt like we quite literally just barely, we would have a whole other type of future. A friend of mine put it well. He was, you know, and he's a middle-aged white dude, but he was like, I don't have an emotional plan B if this doesn't work. Like, it was too much to conceive that but how tell me more about like unpacking that because I even feel like did you find even with the inauguration I I felt a bit like this it was like wow this is this is awesome but it didn't feel like dancing in the street ish because it still felt like everyone was four feet tall yeah. <laughs> that makes sense yeah it's just like yeah it's like, is, oh he's he's president oh that's good oh he's hired a a cabinet full of just multiracial identifying as all different people Oh, he signed a $1.9 trillion relief bill. Oh, oh. But it's not like, oh, because of that. How is that lifting? Yeah, I think it's still a slow and steady relief and and sense of release. And the truth is that we know that there, why there's not this kind of jubilant celebration that's just going on all the time, I think it's because we're still, you know, we're still navigating this pandemic. We're still navigating all sorts of in tragedies and atrocities. And even on a personal level, having lost more friends last year than I've ever lost in my, like all of my years combined, I've, I'm just still sitting with both, you know, personal grief in addition to, you know, the collective uh, sense of loss that we all feel. And so I think there's also this feeling of like, it still may unravel. We know that, you know, January 6th occurred. Let's be honest, right? So what did you, how was that? What did you, were you just doing the same thing? We all were just sitting there watching CNN going, this is not real. What did you think? Worse than I could have ever imagined or conceived of them to do. Although at the same time, we knew that this was being stoked, this kind of fear, this kind of, you know, mobilizing people to the capital, fueling that that sense of fear and, and all of that. And so we knew that it was possible, but the watching it unfold and watching all the footage now is just, uh, 
It's mind-boggling. It's scary. The amount of complicity by, you know, both elected officials and local law enforcement and federal, it's just, it's profoundly disturbing and just illustrates how entrenched these problems really are and how entrenched the damage that has been done over the past four years. And, you know, I'll say before that, but 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 certainly these past four years. And so I think we would be, you know, we'd be naive to just think that we can just, you know, rest on our laurels and like everything's going to be great and everything's fixed. We, we just, we don't have the luxury of doing that right now. You remember when Obama was elected, he fixed racism. It was done. Remember? <laughs> Oh my God, that was good. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> it was for 3.2 seconds, but what, what are 3.2 seconds? I mean, I have to remind people this. Like, we started Black Lives Matter under Obama, our first Black president. So that, to me, is actually what is an important thing for people to remember. Is like, it's like, it's structural. It's not just one individual who's been elected to office, one representative that makes a, you know, the difference. No, it, it's, it's deeper than that. It's more profound than that. And if we lose sight and think it's just an individual versus an institution, then we find ourselves in these kind of four-year cycles where the same old, same old injustice is our status quo. What's in the agenda now? What are you guys working on? Yeah, so right now with with the movement more broadly, folks are still focused in on we've got to handle these issues around both COVID-19 pandemic relief, right, and just how acutely it's impacted Black communities. So one, we know that the disparities in terms of people, you know, impacted by the illness itself, people dying from the illness, the impact that's happened on Black businesses. 40% of Black-owned businesses have gone belly up last year. So we're working on advocating around that. We're still also talking about the fact that we do need to reallocate these funds that have gone towards policing, hyper-policing of largely communities of color. And we're saying, we no, enough is enough. We actually need to define safety in a way that's more just and that keeps, you know, Black people, you know, people of color, brown people safe and, and doesn't look at us as the problem, but but looks to us as as the solution and looks at us, you know, in a place of dignity. But I think some of those approaches with law enforcement, when they've been sending in psychologists and I think, I mean, some sort of, which has worked brilliantly, some sort of hybridization and empathetic hybridization of that, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be one thing or the other. It doesn't have to be defund and freak everybody out. You know what I mean? It's just like, Look, let's apply some sensitivity, some empathy, some firmness if it needs to be, you know, whatever that is. And I think that that's hopefully people are starting to see that there's nuance to this. My hope is that as people become more aware, they'll they'll recognize the need for alternative solutions, right? Other ways of, of doing things and, and safety that looks at safety beyond policing. Just treating people who don't look like you with some commonality and some empathy and some human understanding is not hard. It's not hard, but the thing is, it is also not happening at a conscious level. So we have to actually have laws, policies, practices in place because what unfortunately happens in all of our society is socialized in a way that is racist. Like, you know, we just have to be, we have to, be, you know, we have to have adult conversation. It, you know, we do. That's what, it was that's built what on. it's built on. It is in every single part of us, whatever our melanin count is, it's in every single part of us. So, like, sort it out. <laughs> yeah, and so, they're not, so there's not going to be um, 
the perfect training to get rid of that. That's a life, a lifetime of, of programming, of, <laughs> of socialization. But also beyond that, you have to understand there will be these, these points that we can't even understand ourselves that we have. So guess what? That isn't where we do need policies. That is where we do need laws to protect us from our, our, our sides that we don't know we have. And that's, I think, what we we're calling for, right? How were you taking care of yourself personally, you know, through this past year? Well, thank you for asking that and for stating that. Yes, last year was wild. I actually went and stayed with my parents to check on them. My mom is a nurse and I was freaking out about her and just like how she was feeling with everything and exposure. And so just being like up close and 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 monitoring all that and checking in with them every single day, literally every single day, just to make sure they're okay. So you went there for a little while and then you came back to... Yeah, then I went to California. Um, but I've also just been very keen on my fitness, although it doesn't always look like it. But <laughs> but I'm that's been one of the few things that's been helping me. I've been doing Pilates virtually. How strong are your abs? This is important. They are actually getting stronger. They are stronger than they were a year and a half ago, I'll tell you that. My stamina is like way up. <laughs> my stamina is way up. My abs, my glutes. <laughs> my posture is even improved. Opal Tometi, uh, co-founder of Black Lives Matter. How strong are your glutes? And why did I just say glutes on, in our podcast? Because that's what you do in fitness. We do That's true. <laughs> Or I like to say second butt. There's a butt. There's that there's one. second butt. And there's we don't. thigh. But that's what Pilates will do for you. <laughs> I need to start doing that. Oh, maybe we need to. We could. We could. Oh, my. No, I'd be too ridiculous. Well, You'd laugh at me and I'd ruin everything. It'd be everything. so much fun. Listen, I have the best instructors. In, in, uh, they're in New York. Both of them are in New York. They're, they're phenomenal. Okay. I've, we're going we're gonna to sort that yes. out. Hang on. But remember when we first met, you were traveling all the time. You were like, oh, yeah, I'm just in Nigeria or something. And it would be like for two days. Are you doing some sort of book situation? Yeah. So, well. It seems like something you should be doing. But, I, yeah, I have not been able to travel you know, outside of the U.S. in over a year, which is very unusual for me because I was traveling. Yeah, you were almost every single week. You know, in some ways, I'm like, okay, maybe this is probably for the for the better. So, I slow slowing down, taking care of myself, exploring other things that I'm interested in, like you know, freezing my eggs, learning how to play tennis. You know, other types at the of same things. time. <laughs> Opal can do it all, guys. This is what you can do when you stay in one place for a year. <laughs> Okay, we do this thing called 10 firsts, okay? Okay, first drink you order. When I fly, I always ask for a mimosa. I'll have like some water and a mimosa. But in a bar, it's probably a mojito or just a glass of wine. Oh my God, that was the last time I went for drinks. We went for drinks, geez, in the before times in New York. And we had a few of those. Yes, we did. Okay, first joke you remember. I'm the worst with recalling actual jokes. I, what, what I'm into right now are TikToks and my friends who recycle TikToks on Instagram because I don't have TikTok. <laughs> it gives me a stroke. Like, I can't look I can't at it. it. I'm like, I'm like, why are all these people in the blurry heads yelling at me? I saw the most hilarious TikTok yesterday <laughs> where there was a man reviewing his baby. He's like, oh, we've had this one for about two months. <laughs> we'd say it's pretty good, you know? Like, and it was just like, 
cracked me up. I got the best laugh. I watched it like five times and sent it to a million more people. <laughs> Was there a star rating on the baby? Like- yes. He gave him a He's like, his hair is pretty good. You know, his curls got these curls. <laughs> yeah, if you were, on, if you were going to re- review yourself right now, how many stars? I'll give myself a 4.8. <laughs> but I feel like, no, I, behind your eyes, I saw five. But you thought, no, I won't do that. Yeah, so I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll give some humility. A little humility. A little humility. humility. <laughs> Hashtag humility in there. A little humility. Because you're 5.1. You know, you're 5.1. You are so don't, sweet. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't you even. I'll give you a five. I'll rig the system. If I had one more hour of sleep last night, I think I would have been a five. No, I'm going to, I'm going to give you like a Dubai hotel. Seven stars. Seven. <laughs> Seven stars and all the opals in the earth. Okay. First time, first time you owned your shit. Ooh, first time I own my shit. I was much better at this when I was younger, right? I feel like there's something that happens sometimes as we get older where little doubts come in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was I was pretty badass from a young age. I wrote an essay about 9/11 when I was 16, and somehow my prof- my teacher at the time like shared it with my principal. And then the principal loved it so much that she invited me to join a diversity council at the district-wide level. And and it, The district-wide level? Well, mind you, and I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, in the suburbs. And so I was the only Black person, not just Black student, but Black person in the room. <laughs> so that tells you a whole other thing. But I was able to go there and, and show up and read my essay about that time. And they were floored and it was, it was me owning my shit. Did you, did you calibrate yourself social, socially in a certain way as being when you were the only black person in the room? Um, at that point, I don't think I had much of a understanding of like how significant those moments would be for me. Right. And I kind of was like, well, I'm here. <laughs> so I'm going to say my piece. And, and for, and for some reason, my principal thought something of me and thought something of what I had to share that, I might as well just be honest and own it and do the damn thing. <laughs> so, and then you finished yeah. reading it, and then you went, "You're welcome." <laughs> I wish you can add it. I know. Wait, this is important. I have some tips, tips and tricks. When you win the Nobel, just finish your speech with, "You're welcome." <laughs> I like you that. whisper it. Yeah, yeah. You whisper it because you okay? know what? This is yeah, a service to the planet, to the entire world. You're welcome. Okay. First thing you turn on TV. Um, it's usually something on Bravo. <laughs> Anything on Bravo. I'm not, you know, Go like, on. I'm, I'm really, I, if it's going to be television, it needs to be something that's going to take my brain. So I'm a brain cleanse. <laughs> or something you don't need a brain for. Yeah. At all. Yeah. <laughs> So bad, but it's so true. Yes. Let me be. Is it Housewives? uh, What what are we thinking? No, it's Housewives. (laughs) Don't don't play the charts. Which 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 district? (laughs) Which district of Housewives? Anyone that happens to be on. They're so fascinating to me. They're. I mean, it is. It is a sociological marvel. Okay, first date. Oh, that was in fifth grade. <laughs> Hello, how you doing? Well, don't tell my parents, okay? <laughs> With a young Italian fella. <laughs> oh, you're so continental. so continental. Yeah, I like to learn about different cultures, <laughs> okay? 
It all comes from an academic perspective. Yeah. Okay. Go on. It helps with my sure. advocacy. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta, like, mm-hmm. gotta understand the culture and people. <laughs> and the Hang on. What did you do when you were in fifth grade with the Italian boy? So <laughs> we went to the carnival. We went to the school carnival together and he won a little teddy bear and popcorn for me. And that was our little date. <laughs> and that was the only way I could have a date at that time because my parents would be mortified <laughs> had they known their little girl, their innocent little girl was out with a little boy. <laughs> well, as I always say, you've got to take the meetings before you sign the deal. Two, two weeks later, we, we, we broke up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me about it, okay? Too soon, too so, soon. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first thing you do or eat if you're stressed out. Acai sorbet. Oh my gosh, so good. That's so healthy. No, 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 it's not healthy. Well, yes, I guess. But if you eat it in the amounts that I would probably eat it, then it's not. But it's so sweet and so good. First thing you look at on your phone in the morning? It's usually a message that has come through, right? Like a text message. Right after I do that, I look at the Bible app for a little scripture, a little motivational scripture. Mm-hmm. A little something, something. A little something, something. And then I, I look at the pattern app for a little bit of like what my astrology is is telling me about myself in that day. I hope that one doesn't come. Cancel out the other. I know. I, I wonder myself. I'm like, you are so... <laughs> but then you do Bible or pattern. Which one? I'm always torn between the Bible and something else, aren't we all? I think we all are. <laughs> but I do both. Both are super encouraging readings. And then I'll do meditation. If I could just do those three things, I feel like a clean slate. Okay, final one. First thing you will do when this COVID situation, or I like to call it God-forsaken pandemic, is over. And thankfully, I'm asking you this when it looks like... Yes, there there is like an end in sight. Yeah. What's the first thing you'll... I will probably be on an airplane. (laughs) I will be on an airplane. I I want to head to Paris to give some of my besties some love, just to play and have fun and just, yes. I know. I've been really, have you been watching um, Call My Agent? But it really makes you Paris sick in a way because it's just like like, sort of the day-to-day of people working there and you go, oh, my God, I know that corner. (laughs) I know. I miss that too. I miss that too. Well, when you and I, when we're both in Paris together, we'll have that romantic walk along the Seine that we've just been (laughs) promising each other for so long. Wouldn't that be lovely? Opal Tometi, you're the raddest. I'm your admirer. I'm your groupie. I'm your mate. The work never ends, but to see that there's a bit of a grace, a period of grace and uh, and some victories for for you guys and everybody who works with you and for everybody who's shown up over these these past few years. And again, you're still 12, so God knows what you're going to be doing in 10 years. Um, To be like, no, Belle, sorry, that one's in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I've moved on, but um, God. Oh, my God. Onward, sister, and thank you for being on Ladies First. Thank you. Thanks for having me and being such such a great supporter. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Savarese, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, Anne Kane, and Erica Wong. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrown99.